The scripture selections this weekend feel as if the emphasis is on a history and geography lesson. And I say that because between the first reading and the gospel passage, the lands of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali are mentioned three times. The prophecy from Isaiah in the first reading mentions those lands. The gospel mentions them as the place where Jesus went to live, and then the gospel itself quotes the very same passage from Isaiah in the first reading. And so it seems to be a clear signal that we ought to take note of those lands and perhaps a spiritual lesson that we might take from their significance. If you look at an ancient map and locate the far north of what today is Israel, you will find that west of the Sea of Galilee, on the way to the Mediterranean Sea, is the region of the lands of the tribes of Israel known as Zebulun and Naphtali. They are situated together and they share a common border. And this places them in the northwest area of the Sea of Galilee, well north of Jerusalem. And they are also just a bit north of Nazareth, from which the gospel passage tells us Jesus moved to live in the region of those tribes. The prophecy of Isaiah in the first reading tells us what the historical significance is of the lands of those two tribes. If you look at Isaiah again, those are the lands the Lord God first degraded, where anguish and darkness and gloom first took place as God's people experienced the merciless rod of their taskmasters. Well, what does that mean? Well, eight centuries before Christ, the Assyrians from the north moved down into this region and overtook the area, carrying those tribes off into captivity where their history became mixed with pagan Gentiles. What's the significance of that geographical region in Israel's history then? Well, it's the place anguish and darkness and gloom came because it's the place of the fall of the everlasting kingdom promised to King David. In other words, that region marks, we could say, the beginning of the end of the Davidic kingdom. Eventually, two centuries later, more aggression moved further south where Jerusalem was captured and the inhabitants were driven off into exile. In the gospel passage today, the events of Jesus' baptism and his 40 days in the desert have already happened as a preparation for his public mission. And it seems that a turning point has been reached because after prevailing over the devil's temptations in the desert, Jesus hears that John has been arrested. And this causes him to begin to move and to pick up his own preaching now that John's has been restricted in prison. The Lord said his goodbyes in Nazareth and moved to the area of Zebulun and Naphtali in order, the gospel passage says, that Isaiah's prophecy may be fulfilled. As we heard, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light on those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. We call Jesus the light of the world. 
when his parents presented him in the temple for circumcision, recall what the aged Simeon said of the infant Jesus. Now, master, you may let your servant go in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. And so at the start of his public ministry, now that John has been silenced, Jesus, light to the Gentiles and to Israel, goes where God's people have been in darkness due to what seemed to be an unfulfilled promise of an everlasting kingdom in the line of David. I suggest that the historical and geographical lesson is that hope has arisen. And hope has arisen in what seems like the most unlikely of places. Not only has hope arisen from a cave used for animals in the little town of Bethlehem, not only has hope arisen from the backward, forgotten town of Nazareth. Remember Nathaniel's comment about Jesus? Can anything good come from Nazareth? But all the more, hope has arisen where darkness itself first overshadowed Israel's glory as God's people. The light of the world, the glory of Israel, the light to the Gentiles, goes to the very place where darkness and hopelessness began, and he begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In these passages that seem to focus so heavily on history and geography, I think there is a spiritual lesson for us. And that spiritual lesson goes hand in hand with the words Jesus chose to begin his preaching. And the spiritual lesson is this. God himself goes to where there is darkness in order to bestow his light. God himself goes to where there is gloom in order to dispel the shadows. God himself goes to where hope is lost in order to destroy the rod of the taskmaster of sin and Satan. He does this to restore Israel's hope, and he does so to incorporate Gentiles too into his everlasting kingdom. That Jesus goes there to that region and proclaims repent, the very same message of St. John the Baptist, by the way, imparts to us the spiritual lesson that God goes to and that God desires to be in our darkness, in our gloom, in our slavery to sin, in our hopelessness. He brings light. He dispels shadows. He brings freedom. He restores us. But the trick is that he does so only with our cooperation. He does so if we let him into our land, so to speak. He does so if we repent of our sin and darkness and gloom our repentance being a way, so to speak, that we use our freedom to issue the invitation to him to come. 
spiritual lesson for us is that when we depart from God and move far away in our sins, oddly enough, it is only we who have moved. God has not. As Jesus shows in the gospel, he has gone to dwell in the land of darkness. If we will heed the call to repent, then we can meet the Lord in the places we think most unlikely and lacking hope. I find myself saying many times over the course of priestly ministry that when you examine the entirety of the Bible, you cannot avoid the constant message of preparing for the coming of God by repenting and turning from sin. It's throughout the entire Bible. After an entire Old Testament of prophecy calling for repentance, it's no surprise that St. John the Baptist, the last and the greatest of the prophets, is known for that same message. It's no surprise then that Jesus speaks that same message. And so it's no surprise that his apostles and the church in all ages issue that same call to repent. This is not an infrequent or peripheral or occasional message. And so it causes me to say that if we are not placing repentance at the very center of our Christian life, then it can be argued that we may not be following the one we say we follow, the one who calls us to repent and whose message of repentance is throughout the entire Bible. The call to repentance finds life in the sacraments by our confession of sins as the place where we confront our darkness and go to meet the Lord who is already there in order to bring the light of his mercy. Thus, if the centrality of the message of repentance finds root in our Christian living, then we should make a regular habit of confessing often. It needs to be said that if we're not using confession regularly, then we are not actually living an appropriate Catholic life. We're sort of rather fooling ourselves. In the case of parents and families, we're not raising our children in proper Catholic faith without that witness and practice. By avoiding the light the Lord brings to the darkness of our sin, we're living in a land of make-believe light. And that is a fantasy that will be dispelled on Judgment Day. We repent regularly and make use of confession, not out of fear, and certainly not to check off a box on some aspect of Catholic life, but rather because the scriptures show us a beautiful lesson today, namely that God chooses to dwell in our darkness and gloom and slavery to sin. He is there and ready to meet us. And if we want to meet him, that's where we go. Repentance thus is a beautiful call to us to stop running, and to stop pretending, and to let ourselves to go to the places of our darkness in order to encounter God our light, who is already there and waiting. Let the prophecy of Isaiah be fulfilled in you. 
make sure it is fulfilled in your children. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light on those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death. Light has arisen. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.